everyone. Welcome. We are glad that you are here today. It is good to share this time of fellowship and worship with each of you this morning, and we welcome you. We welcome our guests especially today. Uh, you're very important to us, and we're glad that you're here, and uh, hope God's going to bless you in a very special way today. Uh, let me remind everyone of the attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to ask if you wouldn't mind to take those and fill them out so we could have a record of your attendance with us this morning. We would certainly appreciate that. Also, go ahead and uh, take your smartphones and check in today and let everybody know that you're here worshiping God at uh, Community Baptist Church this morning. Um, we've got a number of announcements to make today, so just buckle your seatbelts for just a minute and we'll just kind of go through them as quickly as, he, as we can. Um, Larry McDowell said that he would like to meet with the security team for just a few minutes right after the worship service, so where are you going to meet, Larry? Find Larry. <laughs> Right there, find Larry and, and meet with Larry after the worship service. On Wednesday, uh, this coming Wednesday, uh, Kendra Marsh from the uh, St. Anthony's Hospice will be here, and they'll be pre- presenting a program. I'm not sure if she's bringing anybody else with, us, with her, but uh, they'll be uh, presenting a program about St. Anthony's Hospice uh, and uh, the, the services that they provide. So uh, come and be here for that. It's be, be very interesting and educational and inspiring. And it's a wonderful organization, so we invite you to come and, and share that time. On Saturday, we will be hosting the uh, Runway Red uh, from Matthew 25. This is a fundraiser for them. They're doing a brunch this year instead of a lunch. Isn't that right? And um, and so that'll that'll be sun, uh, Saturday morning instead of lunchtime. So uh, come and be here for that. We do have tickets available. I think we've got two tables. And so you can uh, pick those up at the office. They're $25 a piece. Um, We will be having our church picnic next Sunday, right after the worship service at 1 o'clock, out at uh, Audubon State Park in the Lakeview Pavilion. Also coming up is a Highway 60 yard sale, which we participate in every year. And uh, we are collecting items to sell. If you would like to clean out your closet, it's a good time. We'll uh, put it in our yard sale. Uh, Just bring it here and put it in room upstairs here, and we'll sort it out and um, and put it on sale for our, our yard sale. And that's a great fundraiser for us. That's a, uh, one of the primary ways that we raise money for some of our mission activities. Uh, so uh, we encourage you to do that. October 9th is a blood drive. And so see Jika if you would like to volunteer or set up an appointment to uh, um, uh, to, to donate <laughs> to be blood-leaded. <laughs> and and on, also on October the 9th, we're going to begin a, um, a, a series of, um, of studies on grief and loss. And, and uh, Phyllis Warren will be leading that. We'll be uh, meeting together as a whole group on that day. And uh, we'll be looking at a, at a video and talking about that. And then after that, uh, Phyllis will be leading a series of six weeks on, on grief and loss. And so we'll be having a regular Bible study at the same time, but if you would like to uh, participate in that, we encourage you to do that. You know, Phyllis is an expert. She's written a book on the subject, and and uh, and she's an expert on this, and so uh, I hope that you'll, um, if you have that need in your life, that you'll participate in that. See, I told you it was a lot. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? So, we've got a lot going on. That's a good thing. Uh, so, But the most important thing that we have going on is each other. So, let me invite you now to stand if you're able, let us turn around and shake the hands of the people around you and share the love of Christ with one another.
across a, um, see, I caught you, didn't you? You're bowing your heads there. <laughs> People of habit, I tell you. I ran across a, a prayer this week um, that I thought I would share with you today, so I can't claim this as my own. It's written by Charles Killian, who is a professor at Asbury Seminary, and uh, it takes a, a little different perspective on the way we normally pray. So please pray with me as we pray this prayer. Oh God, it occurs to us that our prayers are sometimes one-sided. And so today our prayer is not only for the usual things that we pray for, but also for the opposite things. We pray today not only for the sick, but for the well, so that pride will not rule our happy hearts. We pray not only for the poor, but also for the rich who find it so very hard to enter the kingdom of heaven. We pray not only for the troubled, but also for the favored one, so that peace with the world will not be confused with peace with God. We pray not only for the dying, but also for the living, since each of us face eternity at our own time. We pray not only for the burdened, but also for the, for the casual, so that idleness will not rot our soul. We pray for, for not only the leadership of our country, but also for the people, because it is the people who pay for misrule when it comes. We pray not only for missionaries on foreign shores, but also for the rest of us who still don't know that in Christ there is no east or west, north or south, but one great human family in a house that grows smaller and smaller by the years. We pray not only for ministers of the gospel, but also for people of the gospel, since all who believe are called to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We pray not only for fair weather, but also for bad weather, since nature is impartial. The rain and sun fall upon the righteous and the unrighteous alike. We pray not only for sinners to turn and be saved, but also for the rest of us who think that we have no sin and are in greater need of penitence and healing because of it. And finally, Lord, we pray not only for others, but also for ourselves, because salvation and righteousness begins at the household of God. Amen.
join us down front for our children's time, please? Oh, there we go. Good morning. How are you all today? Good morning. Y'all think I'm decorated for Halloween while I'm wearing my hat? (laughs) Not really. I have a story to tell. And as they say, God works in a mysterious way. And the story I have today, I was a little bit worried about telling until Brother Tim said the prayer that he did. And I'll explain here in just a minute. That was God, I think, telling me that go ahead and tell what you have planned. When I was your age, I was really shy. I would not have volunteered to get up here in front of the church and say anything. If somebody asked me with a little encouragement, I probably would have. But this past week, I celebrated a milestone birthday. And one thing I have learned as I have gotten older is God puts things in my path that I don't understand. But if I listen, hopefully I will help someone else and it will be a blessing to me, even though it might scare me. Okay? So one thing that um, years ago, I was probably in my 30s, um, was presented to me was to tell about people in history. I love to study people. We all learn about George Washington, Abraham Lincoln. But I was drawn to people who nobody knew about. And all of us have a story to tell. You know, you're a unique person. You have things that you like, things you don't like, things that you like to do. So we all have a story to tell. And who knows, someday our story may be out there to be told. Last night, I played the lady in Owensboro in a play that was against alcohol. And that's the head awards I have on my head. So I'm kind of like a big girl that likes to dress up and tell stories. But when I was thinking about Brother Tim's sermon today, um, and the title is, A Life is a Terrible Thing to Waste, I automatically think about what we do to work for God. Okay? But there's another side of our life, too, the fun side. And we can be an instrument for God even when we're having fun because people watch us all the time. The things we do, the things we say, uh, if we're nice to somebody, if we're mean to somebody. But there's things that God puts in front of us that we may not realize how we're going to help somebody. And when I started portraying other people or, I say, digging up the stories about the people, especially these common people that nobody knows about, I thought, that's benefiting me. It's fun for me to do that. But I want to tell you a story, and this reminds me of Dr. Tim's story, so bear with me. I'll make this as short as possible. Uh, several years ago, there was a, I came across a story of an Indian. His name was Lewis Allen, but his Indian name was Dr. Pretty Eagle. Now, Dr. Pretty Eagle was a very special person. He was well-educated. He went to college in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, and many of the adults here remember the name Jim Thorpe, a wonderful athlete, and he went to that same school, and he was also Indian. But there's such thing as prejudice. You don't know what prejudice is? It means when you look at somebody you have an idea that you already don't like them because maybe of the color of their skin, uh, maybe they're overweight, maybe they look funny, you know. Um, I've always been bowlig, I mean, not bowlig, a pigeon-toed, so I was teased a lot when I was little about being a pigeon-toed, and I couldn't help it, but I was teased about that. So things that we see people and we automatically think we know about them, but we really don't know what's in their heart. So Dr. Creek Eagle, after he graduated college, he went out to find a job. But you know what? He couldn't find a job because people were prejudiced. They didn't like him because he was an Indian. So he had to make a living. So he toured around the United States selling medicine. He was called a medicine man. And some of it thought that it was really kind of a fake medicine. But he said he could cure anything. 
So as he went through Union County, he met a lovely lady by the name of Betty Shrave. This is Shreve, Betty Shreve. She wasn't married and had never been married, and they fell in love, and he married her. So she went around the country with him, and they traveled to Owensboro, and it was there that Dr. Pretty Eagle took sick, and he passed away. And didn't have any money. He was buried in what they call the pauper section, which was the poor section of the cemetery. Nobody has, most people don't have monuments there, and it's kind of a sad situation. Well, Eddie goes back to her name was Eddie, I said Eddie. Eddie, Eddie goes back to her family in Union County, but she's pregnant, so she has this baby. And um, this is a story that I found, and we actually chose it to be a play. Well, when the play was presented, the way it was presented was Dr. Pretty Eagle asked, do you know where my wife is? Do you know where my child is? What was my child? Was it a little boy or a little girl? And everybody asked me because I found the information. But you know what? I didn't know what happened to Edda. I didn't know what happened. Where was the little boy or little girl? Because the story went cold. But God had a plan for me, and I didn't know it. So we did the play, and there happened to be a nurse at our hospital, Lisa Pittman was her name, and she overheard us talking about the story in the play, and she said, I want to go to that. Told her how to get tickets, and she did. When she went, the next day that I saw her at work, she said, I know somebody you need to talk to. You need to call Melissa Shreve. She was my best friend in high school, and that's her family. And so I thought, this is the craziest thing I've ever done, calling somebody I don't know, asking about these people that lived 100 years ago. But something kept telling me, you need to call her. So a couple days went by, and I called her, and I said, I don't know you, and this is the story, but Lisa wanted me to call you. And she said, well, no, it is my family, but it's not my direct line. But I know somebody you need to talk to. And I said, okay. She said, her name is Shirley Cartwright, and she lives in Texas. And I thought, this is getting crazier as can be. I'm calling somebody in Texas, and I'm in Kentucky, and I'm on a wild fish chase. But you know what? There was a little voice in the back of my mind that says, you need to do this. So again, I waited a couple days thinking, it'll go back. Well, it didn't. Something kept telling me to do it. So one night, I called this lady, and I said, this is Mrs. Cartwright, yes, and I told her who I was, and why I was calling that there's this person that died 100 years ago, and did she know who this was, and somebody told me I needed to call her, and dead silence. I said, are you there? She says, hon, I'm 82 years old. She says, I have a first cousin that lives in Evansville, Indiana, and for as long as I can remember, I'll visit for a week every summer, and she and I go out looking for my grandfather, who you are calling me about. And she said, you're calling me just to tell me this? She said, how did you find me? She said, I've never been able to find anything about him. So I told her how the circumstances unfolded, and uh, that was in the fall. And the next spring, all the researchers and everyone that's involved in this program at Owensboro got together for a picnic in the cemetery. So we're sitting there, and up drives a car, and it's Charlie and her cousin from Evansville. Now she gets out of the car, and she says, I've come to find my grandfather today. And the rest of the story that I didn't know was that the baby that we didn't know if it was a boy or girl was this man and it was her grandfather okay now what had happened was that Edda went back to her family had the baby but Edda only lived about six or seven years and she died and this man when he was a little boy was sent to Michigan to live with his aunt and there he lost contact with his family in, in Kentucky in Union County now this is Shirley and that's at the cemetery and she's holding a picture of Dr. Pretty Eagle that she had. So 
why am I telling this? Well, I think God has a plan for us. Even sometimes in the strangest ways that we can help people if we listen to Him. Even when we're having fun and we think it might be kind of selfish that this is for me, but it really can help somebody else. Okay? So I think when you look at your life and Brother Tim's message, a life is a terrible thing to waste, that we can do His will. Not only when we say we're working for God, but also when we're playing because we never know how we're going to influence or help somebody else. We maybe think it's just helping us when it's also helping somebody else. So listen to those little voices and God urging us to, to do certain things. So will everybody bow with me, please? Our dear Lord, most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day that you have given us. Please bless each one here and all those that are not here today because we know that they need prayers too. Please be with us as we walk in this world, that you will guide us in the direction that you would have us go. And please be with us in it, on every step that we take. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Amen.
right to people, kids, ask for you, Lord, about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Pray to people that are healthy and well. Be with Brother Hobbs in his speaking the word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
you, but I certainly am glad that the love of Christ makes this group want to sing. <laughs> Thank you, Pancho. There's a, an old story about a college professor who was being ferried across the river, and the professor was criticizing the ferryman for his ungrammatical language. And when he learned that the ferryman had never attended school, the professor said, What? Half of your life has been wasted. And then shortly after that, the ferryman asked the professor, Professor, did you ever learn how to swim? And the professor replied, no, I didn't. To which the ferryman replied, well, then it seems to me like all of your life is wasted. We're sinking. (laughs) A life is a terrible thing to waste, isn't it? Do you know the story of Arthur Barry? <clears throat> Arthur Barry is considered by many to be the greatest jewel thief of all time. He committed more than 150 robberies, stealing millions of dollars worth of jewels. He only robbed people in high society. He usually wore a tuxedo when he pulled off these capers. And and he was said to be so charming that on several occasions when he was actually caught in the act of robbing these people, he talked his victims out of immediately contacting uh, the, the authorities. But the law finally caught up with Barry, and he spent 17 years in prison. After his release, he worked as a waiter in a restaurant making $50 a week. A news reporter tracked him down, curious about his story, and asked him about his life of crime. And here's how Barry summed up his life. He said, I'm not very good at drawing morals, but when I was young, I had intelligence, charm, the ability to get along with people, and guts. I could have made something great out of my life, but I didn't. So when you write your story about my life and and tell people about all of these robberies that I committed, don't leave out the big ones. You can tell them that Arthur Berry robbed Jesse Livermore, the Wall Street Baron. You can tell them that that, that he robbed the cousin of the King of England. But don't forget to tell them that most of all, Arthur Berry robbed Arthur Berry. That's the most important person that Arthur Berry robbed himself. So here's a question for each of us today. Could we come to the end of our lives and conclude that we have robbed ourselves of the opportunity to make our lives count for something? Could we conclude that our lives have largely been wasted and that there's really no point to them at all? Is there any way for us to know for sure that our lives really matter? Well, I don't believe that anyone would ever say that the Apostle Paul wasted his life. He was charged with many other things in his life. He was beaten. He was thrown into prison because of numerous confrontations with political and religious authorities. But he could never have been charged with wasting his life. Indeed, few people have ever made the contributions to human existence than the Apostle Paul did. It was Paul who took the gospel of Christ to the Gentiles. It was Paul who gave us the most beautiful description of love ever written in 1 Corinthians 13. 
It was Paul who gave us the definitive statement on life after death in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul most certainly was one of the most influential people who ever lived on this earth. And ironically, he would have received even more credit for his contributions to our existence if he had not been so effective in convincing us that it was not him, but rather the Spirit of Christ working through him that accomplished all these things. So what was it that drove Paul to such greatness? What caused him to dedicate every fiber of his life to his cause? Well, I think that we can get a clue to that from our scripture lesson for today. For there's one God, and there's one create, one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. Let's think about that first clause for just a moment. For there is one God. My friends, you and I probably take that great truth for granted. It's the way most of us have been raised, believing that there is one God. But the writers of of the Bible could not take that for granted. They knew what a struggle it had been for their fathers and mothers to declare the unity of God. You see, their neighbors worshipped many gods. It was just these stubborn Jews who maintained that there was only one God, Yahweh. And that there were no other there would be no other gods before Yahweh. They declared the unity of God and they, they declared the, the universality of God. They declared that, that instead of having a God for every town and every region, that, that Yahweh was the, the God of of all creation and of all human beings. God is the creator of all that lives and moves and has its being. This truth, this, this truth reminds me of an observation that Oscar Hammerstein II once made. It seems that he was privileged to, to view the, the Statue of Liberty up close from a helicopter. And, and what impressed him the most was the tremendous detail that the sculptor used on this beautiful statue, even on the very top of her head. If you notice that, every strand of hair is in its place. And what impressed Hammerstein the most about this is, was that the sculptor who created this great statue lived in a time before there were helicopters or, or, or uh, airplanes. And so he couldn't know that the top of Lady Liberty's head would ever be seen by anybody. Except maybe a few seagulls. And yet he went to the trouble of doing it right. And of course, the handiwork of the greatest human sculpture of all times pales in comparison to the work of God. Look at the beauty of God's creation. Look at the intricacy of the human body. The children of Israel declared God's unity and God's universality. But even more importantly, they declared God's unique intimacy with the world that God has created. Our God is not some disconnected God who created a world and then forgot about it. No. God is involved in the lives of of God's people in a very personal way. We all know it. We've experienced it in our own lives. Anne Lamott, in her book titled Traveling Mercies, tells about how she found herself broken and drunk and suffering from bulimia and depressed and addicted to drugs. And, and she said, I could, I could no longer imagine how God could love me in the state that I was in. And in her desperation, she set an appointment for, uh, with an Episcopal priest. And she told the priest, I'm so messed up that I don't think God can love me. And the priest replied, God has to love you. That's God's job. And it's true. God's job is to love us. 
Why? Because the Bible tells us that God is love. That's the very nature of God. God is intimately involved with God's world and in the lives of every one of God's children. There is one God, declares Paul. And that God loves us. And then he adds, and there is but one mediator between God and humankind, and and that is the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Here we, we move from the universal, the universality of God to the specific. Our Muslim friends declare that there is but one God. Our Jewish friends declare that there is but one God. Most thinking people in the world today declare that there is but one God. But it is the unique claim of Christianity to declare that there is but one mediator between God and human beings. The man Jesus. And again, this was no frivolous claim here. Most, most early Christians had started out as, as Jews. And the God that they worshipped was a God of power and majesty and strength. For them, even to look upon God was to die. To even touch the things of God with unclean hands was to to risk an awful retribution. The Jewish God was a a God whose glory could not even be properly contemplated by mere mortals. And yet the Apostle John wrote in his Gospel, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And we have beheld God's glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father. That was a radical statement. When John wrote those words, I wonder if his hands were trembling when he wrote those words. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Paul and the other disciples believed with all of their hearts that that there was one mediator between God and humanity, and that was Jesus Christ. They had heard Him teach. They had seen Him heal. They, they witnessed His death on the cross and they encountered Him in His eternal glory, His risen glory on the road to Emmaus and, and in the upper room and, and on the mountain before He sent, ascended to the Father. And all throughout the New Testament, they tried their best to sum up the impact that He had on their lives. They called Him things like prophet and high priest and servant of God and Lamb of God and Son of David and Son of Man, Son of God, Holy One, Savior, Messiah, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. It seems like they didn't have enough adjectives to describe this man. The great missionary E. Stanley Jones once said that this is the great divide between Christianity and other world religions. Not that they don't have truth. Not that they lack noble sentiments or gracious teachings or, or gifted leaders. They do. But in them, said Jones, the word became word. A set of teachings. A moral framework. But with Christianity, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it is through this Word, Jesus Christ, that we can know and experience the one true God. There is one God. There is one mediator, writes Paul. And for this, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. So what does all of this have to do with Paul's sense of power and purpose? Well, here it is. Paul's whole life was grounded in his knowledge of God and in his experience of Christ. And that knowledge 
And that experience had two effects on Paul's life. The first effect is the focal effect, and the second effect is the funnel effect. And when I talk about the focal effect, what I'm talking about is the power of being focused on one single world-changing task. Paul was single-minded, and that was to proclaim the Word of, of God to the world. We know now that great accomplishments in this world are usually made by those who are totally dedicated to a single task. And Paul's great cause was to glorify God. And, and, he, and he did that whether he was making tents or writing letters to young churches or preaching on street corners. It didn't, didn't matter what he was doing. The object was always the same for him. He did all things to the glory of God. And my friends, that is your task and my task as well. To do everything we do, whether it's in the office or on the construction site or in the classroom, at home, wherever we are, the object of our lives should be to do everything that we do to the glory of God. So how do we make a difference in the world like Paul did? Well, we do it by centering in on everything we do. And asking ourselves, is this something that I can do for God's glory? And if it is, we ought to give ourselves to it with total abandon. That's the focal effect. The second effect may be called the funnel effect. And here's what I mean by that. Paul saw himself as a funnel through which God's purpose and power could flow. Someone did a study of the lives of great people, and they discovered that invariably these monumental achievers did not consider the path of greatness as something that came from them, but rather than that was a leading through them. The source was somewhere else. And that's exactly what Paul felt about his life. He was a channel through which God's power flowed. There was a brawny man one time that was standing in front of a painting by the great artist John Singer Sargent in an art gallery in New York City. <clears throat> the man just kept standing there in front of this painting and muttering to, to himself, I, I, I've been given a place at last. I have a place at last, he said to himself over and over. And, and, and artist Robert Henry was standing nearby and... Henry was mystified by what the man was saying. And so he asked the man, are, are you in this sort of work? And the man said, oh, yes. But this is the first time I've ever been displayed like this. And, and now Henry was really disturbed. He, he said to the man, but I, I thought that this work was by the great painter John Singer Sargent. And the man replied, that's right. But I made the frame. <laughs> Paul saw himself as the frame. Christ was the painting. It was the power of the risen Christ working through him that was the source of his great accomplishments. And that's why Paul could write, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and through me. Do you know what that means for us today? It means that if we will surrender our lives, and then there is a source of power that's available to each of us as well. A source that can flow into us and through us and help us to accomplish more than, than we'll ever dream possible. William Speedle once wrote about the one member of his family that provides the, the go power for everyone else in the family. You, most families have this. And this is what he said. He said, my wife Donna is the spark plug who makes sure that the kids are up on time to eat and to catch the school bus. But one day she had an early meeting and left while the rest of us were still asleep. And by the time the kids got up and, 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 and I got up and we dragged ourselves out of bed and through our morning routine, we were late. 
And my daughter and son wanted notes to present to their teachers to excuse their tardiness. And, and I said, okay, but what do we write? And after some discussion, we settled on this. Dear teacher, please excuse this tardiness. Our power went out this morning. (laughs) And it was the truth. Mom was the power in the family, and she left this morning. And in the same way, the power that helped Paul accomplish the great things that he did did not come from him as much as it came through him. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. He was just the funnel. Paul could have never been accused of wasting his life. He made his life count. How? By surrendering his life to Jesus Christ and by allowing Christ to live through him. The great scholar Augustine once said that there were three things that he would have liked to have seen. One, Jesus in the flesh. Two, imperial Rome in its splendor. And three, Paul preaching. And it is no wonder, for you see, Paul preached as he did everything else to the glory of God. Paul believed that divine energy flowed through him. And that's what a renewed faith in God can, can do for us as well. It can give us a new power and a new purpose to the extent that everyone may see our lives and see the good things that we do or that God does through us. And when they see that, God is glorified. Amen. Let us sing together. You did it again. (laughs) Our closing hymn, uh, just perfect uh, uh, selection, appropriate for what we're doing, for what we're saying here today. Make me a blessing. And that, I hope, is the prayer of all of our lives. I think it was the prayer that Paul prayed in everything that he did. God, make me a a blessing. And through that, he focused totally on that. And he allowed the power of God to make him a blessing to the world.
to us, O Lord, hearts that are made tender by your love and compassion. Grant unto us, O Lord, arms that are made strong by your power. Grant unto us, O Lord, minds that are eager to know more about you and your word. May we, your church, build up the body of Christ. May we bring hope and healing and love. And may we always be used for your glory. Amen. 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 Good to Christmas music.